doing something different this year in that we're celebrating Advent uh, by looking at one verse over three weeks. It doesn't exactly fit the, uh, the Advent candles, but we're, we're, we're working with it. The, uh, the verse is Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, or girl, will conceive and give birth to a son, and, he will, and will call him Emmanuel. This is one of the most uh, difficult verses to understand uh, in the context of the book of Isaiah. Scholars really try to figure out what this means. The, um, the, the setting or the background that this verse was given, this prophecy was given, is Judah is being attacked by two other kingdoms. It's not going well. I mean, they're surviving, but it's not going well. And so they've appealed to a uh, country called Assyria to come and to help them. God intervenes in that moment and says, don't do that. Don't turn to another political state to, to help you out. Turn to me. Trust in me. And then they give this sign, and it's a tricky sign that, again, nobody fully understands, that God was with Isaiah and promised him that David's kingdom, so uh, Ahaz is part of the kingdom of David all through that lineage, is going to continue through a son born of a virgin. Nobody really knows at that time who that son was and how it all worked itself out. But that prophecy makes its way into Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. It says, Joseph, son of David. So again, we have that lineage that's following through. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. So the scandal would be that Mary is pregnant, not by Joseph. What's going on? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, not from another man. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. <clears throat> Luke 1 verse 76 picks up these same kinds of themes when it talks about John the Baptist. You, John, will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. So, what this series intends on doing is, is showing how Jesus fulfilled this, this prophecy by launching a new kingdom that's based on three primary qualities. The first quality that we're going to look at today is the topic of forgiveness. So it says this, uh, the, the virgin will conceive. Now, again, if you've been around church for a little while, you've, you've heard this, we sung about it. And here's the idea of why this is such an important thought, is that in order for God to forgive our sins, uh, when he dies, he's to pay for our sins instead of his own. So if he was just born like anyone else, uh, fully human, then he would be corrupt, he couldn't die for our sins, and so we wouldn't experience forgiveness. So it's critical that he would be born of a virgin and that the Holy Spirit would... Uh, 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 that Jesus would be conceived through a virgin who is, um, I'm, I lost my word, I can't figure out my word in my head. There's a word for this. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by a man. Yeah, it's good, I think they get it. <laughs> so, here's, here's, here's where this takes my mind. 
if you, again, if you've been to church at all, you hear people talking about their forgiveness of sins all the time. It's super trendy if you're a Christian. You're always talking about the forgiveness of sins. And if you, if you haven't heard that before, it means you haven't been in church because it's a, it's a big deal. Here's what I struggle with. So God is saying, I'm going to establish this new covenant, this new relationship. I'm going to build my kingdom on the forgiveness of sins. So now I think, okay, what if Trudeau said that? There was some announcement and he says, I've got this amazing news. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build the nation of Canada on the forgiveness of sins. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip through the country and I'm just going to bunk everybody and you get to be forgiven and you get to be forgiven. Everybody gets to be forgiven. Mass murder, you too. Everybody, everybody gets to be forgiven. There. That's what I'm founding Canada on now is the forgiveness of sins and everybody gets to be forgiven. I mean, that's a horrible idea. Like you would never do that. You would never think, let's see, how should I found Canada? I know, I'm just going to pardon everyone's sins. Then there's going to be no justice. There's, uh, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense. What if you were to run your company like this? Those of you who own a company, why don't you run your company on the forgiveness of sins? And uh, employees come in late, they don't do what they're told, they go, you know what? Don't worry about it. You're forgiven. The guy who doesn't do his work just like you, he's forgiven. We're all forgiven. I mean, it's called not a business. <laughs> that's what that's called. It, you, you can't, a business has to make money and people have to be responsible. And if people aren't responsible, you don't get paid and you don't eat. So, uh, you know, could there be something better than founding a nation or a business or even a family on forgiveness? Is there something that makes more sense? So I'd like to present to you a word, and I, I credit Levi for bringing this back to my attention. We went for a bike ride a few weeks ago, and I, I like this word. It might be a new word, for, but I think it's going to be helpful. And it's uh, meritocracy. You can impress all your friends. Uh, what is a meritocracy? It's a relationship. So this relationship can be as large as a nation. That's a, lots of relationships. It can be a business. It can be a family. It can be even a friendship. But it's some kind of relationship that is based on competency and equal opportunity as opposed to favoritism or power. This makes tons of sense. That if you're going to found a nation, build a business, start a church, have a family, you want the members of that organization to be responsible. And the people that you're going to choose to lead, you want them to be competent. You want them to know what they're doing. You don't want to just hire anybody out of compassion or you feel bad for them. You don't want anybody to get that position because they were wealthy and they had favor. No, you want somebody qualified. So when I think about the establishment of a new kingdom, I think meritocracy makes a whole lot of sense. 
This is what was going on for Ahab during the time that this prophecy was, was first given. So imagine uh, Ahaz, he, ha so him and Mo the, like there's a country that wants to kill him and all of his people. Now, if I'm Ahaz, I'm going to do, I'm going to think like a meritocracy. I'm going to think who's competent to help. Assyria is the most powerful nation. We're going to get on their side. We're going to put somebody in charge who's competent and able, and they're going to free us. They're going to deliver us. That makes total sense. And then God comes along and says, no, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to find somebody competent. Uh, I want you to figure out how this moment, a, a competent human being, I want you to figure out how this moment can be about trusting me. And if you trust me, I'm going to deliver you. I don't know about you, but that's a hard sell. I don't think that way. I don't think businesses think that way. Let's just all trust in Jesus today for sales. Yeah, you might throw up a prayer, but what you're going to do is you're going to build your website. You're going to find, you're going to try to give a better product. You're going you're to be competent in the hope of success. I mean, it's just so obvious, I don't even think it's worth mentioning, that I think we all think this way. If you're going through a difficult time, what are you going to do? Well, if it's financial, you're going to try to maybe better yourself through education. You're going to look for a better job. You're going to do something that, uh, that increases your skill, that gives you better opportunity. That, that, like, what else would you do? If you're feeling depressed or discouraged, you're going to try to get some help from somebody who's competent, and they're gonna try to help you to become competent and more, and more skilled in being able to handle your emotions. It's just how the world works is according to a meritocracy. We can even support this in scripture in 2 Thessalonians uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. The world is run on all of us being responsible. So why, when Jesus comes, is he saying a, uh, that Jesus will be conceived by a virgin so that he can be sinless, so that he can die for our sins and establish his kingdom on forgiveness? Why is that better? So I'd like to offer two things to you. The first is that we need the merits of the one we offended. So there are some things that we can't do. We can't save ourselves from hell. We can't change our hearts. 
there's so much that is out of our control. And if we were to look to ourselves or other people to save us, it will always be inadequate. We need God to save us. We, if, we're, if we're humble for a moment and think about our weaknesses and our impotence, we would reach the conclusion that we need divine power in our life. But here's the problem. The problem is we've offended, morally, we've offended that divine power. And so, you know, you can imagine coming up to, I don't know, some rich uncle and say, hey, you know, I know I've had a bit of a rough start. Uh, I said some things in the past that I kind of regret right now, but I'm broke, and so I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, you can lend me some money. I'd really appreciate that. What's the uncle going to say? Why would I do that? You've spoken ill of me. You've defamed my name publicly. And now when you're in need, now you want to come and see me? I don't think so. How is that all going to work? How is it going to get better? The only thing that we rely on is being forgiven. And then when we're forgiven, then we get to say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And if they are generous enough to do that, then we get the resources that we need. So Jesus says, this is exactly what I've done. I know that I'm God. I know that you can't be saved by any other name. I know you're dependent upon me, not just for your temporal salvation, but for your eternal salvation. And so the only way that you're going to be able to receive the benefits of who I am is if I cancel your offenses against me and I forgive your sins. This is incredible. Because the one who we ultimately need is the one that we've ultimately offended, which makes forgiveness essential for our help and salvation. We can't access the merits, the competency, the ability of God without him forgiving us our sins. That's point one. Point two has to do with how we interpret what forgiveness is about. Sometimes when I, uh, I listen to people talk about what forgiveness is, it sounds like it's just a free license. It's play Monopoly and I get a, jail, uh, get a jail free card. And uh, anytime I do something wrong, I go, bonk, I've been forgiven, sorry, can't touch me. I've, uh, uh, you're obliged to forgive me. And so what this means is that I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And because I've been forgiven and your love is unconditional, then that means you can't even change your mind. So I get to just be forgiven and be irresponsible. And there's nothing that you can do about it. If we have that understanding of what forgiveness is about, then what Jesus would be establishing is an unjust society where people get to do whatever they want and there's nothing that we can do. And we call that forgiveness and mercy. Forgiveness, however, is not license. It creates the opportunity for love. Let me explain what this means. Um, I've told this story a little while ago, but it just fits so well now. It's worth, it's worth talking about again. A number of years ago, somebody came up to Debbie and I and said, uh, 
I don't have enough money to pay rent. I'm in a really difficult place. Could you please lend me some money? And I think we lent her a few thousand dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you owe somebody some money, that's not an enjoyable feeling, you know? You feel bad, you feel guilty, you feel obligated, you wish you didn't have to do it, but you didn't have a choice, like all that. And uh, so she comes up to us before the debt has been paid off. She says, uh, you know, I just really want to show that I'm, I'm grateful, and I just want to give you, I don't know, it's a couple hundred dollars, not as payment for the debt, I just want to give you this money to say thank you. And uh, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> like, like, like you can say that the, that the payment doesn't, you, you owe me $2,000 or what, I don't know what it was, but you, you owe me this money. It doesn't matter. Like we can't just overlook that. What you call a free gift, you owe me money. So you can imagine whatever you imagine it to be but you're only paying down your debt. If the world works on a payment system and, uh, and you owe money, it doesn't matter how you feel, you just owe something. So when it comes to our moral debt with God, you can try to do good and say, oh, look how I'm loving you. And he says, no, you're just paying off your debt. And it'll take, I don't know, a billion years or whatever. Like, you, you can't pretend that this relationship is about love because it's not. It's about payment. And it's about what you owe me and what you have failed to pay. So the following out of the logic, the only way that God could uh, arrange our relationship with him so that our good works wouldn't be about payment, which is really about self, that would genuinely be about loving him is if, we, if he would forgive our debt first. And then when he forgives our debt, it means we don't owe him anything. And so that when we go about to love him, that's a genuine act of love. And if he didn't forgive us, we actually couldn't love him. You know, if you, if you, you, know, if you talk to your, to your employer, you know, and you say, Today, I'm just going to, well, we'll get to that, where it might be redeemed. But, you know, you say to your employer, I'm just going to, like, love you today. And, the, like, no, I'm paying you. Like, I mean, you can work through your motives. That'd be nice. But I'm paying you. It's transactional. It's a meritocracy. Um, we owe them because they're paying us, we owe them production. The only way to get free of that whole system is be forgiven, have our debt fully paid, and now when we do something, it's genuinely out of the goodness of our heart because we're not expecting anything in return. So forgiveness does this amazing thing. It allows us to receive from God all of his competency and it also allows us to genuinely love him, to give him love. And without the forgiveness of sins, we don't freely receive, nor do we freely give love. 
So what we have in the kingdom of God is a radically different kind of relationship that is not a meritocracy. It's about love. So here's where it gets a little bit tricky for us, perhaps. Because this is, uh, this is it's a little bit hard to grab hold of. The Bible clearly says, John 3.16, that God loves us. God loves everyone. For God so loved, what? The world. God loves everybody. But here's the rub. God doesn't forgive everybody. Did you know that? People go to hell every day. God doesn't forgive everybody. Um, who does he forgive? Well, Acts 2.38 says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is he going to forgive? The people who repent. I'm not going to forgive everybody. I'm only going to forgive those who repent. And so now this gets super complicated for us because we go, hold on. You just like went on for a super long time saying that God's going to build our relationship with him, not on our performance. Yet it sounds like you are now saying that we have to do some stuff in order to get forgiven. What's going on here? Matthew 6.14 says that I'm only going to, Jesus speaking, that God's only going to forgive people who forgive others. And so if you don't forgive others, you can't be forgiven. What is all this talking about? For the longest time, I thought that at the heart of Christianity was the forgiveness of sins. So when somebody would give what's called a gospel presentation, a presentation of what the heart of Christianity is, they would go on and on about how um, we're all sinners, we're all going to hell, but don't worry, Jesus came and he's forgiven all of our sins. And he'll forgive your sins too if you ask him into your heart or something. But don't worry, it's a free gift. So you just you barely have to ask anything. You'll just, it's all good. <clears throat> and then... Uh, I read my Bible, and I discover that that's actually not the that's that's actually not the point, which is really disturbing for me. The point is Matthew twenty two, thirty seven to forty. The point is God wants a love relationship with us. He wants to freely give us love, but He also wants to be loved, and He only forgives people who actually want a love relationship with Him. And if people don't want a love relationship, he's actually not going to forgive. Because to forgive somebody like that would be an act of injustice and would create anarchy. He's not going to go around bunking everybody with forgiveness. That would just create license and it'd be horrible. He's saying, uh, if you want a love relationship with me, then I'll help that happen. I'll forgive you. So that then you can genuinely love me for my benefit and not yours. But if you don't want to do that, then it, it's fine. But I'm not going to forgive you. You see, the goal of Christianity is what's described as a reciprocal relationship. 
where there's freely giving and receiving love. Um, and I don't have a relationship if only one of those things is true. I, I don't have a relationship with somebody if all I'm doing is receiving. Have you ever had friends like that? They're just taking all the time. That's not a relationship. It's also not a relationship if all I ever do is give and never receive anything. That's not a relationship. A relationship is reciprocal. Freely you have received, freely give. That's a healthy relationship. Forgiveness is designed to fulfill that, not replace that. It's designed to help us be loved and give love. Sometimes I feel as though we treat forgiveness like we've won the lottery and now we get to do whatever we want. No, we don't. That's, that's, not, that's not what forgiveness is for. Forgiveness is the freedom to be loved, to receive his salvation, knowing that we can't afford it, and it gives us space to love him because our debt has been paid. So, how do we build our lives on God's forgiveness instead of our, ours or other people's competency? Here's what I'm afraid of today. We hear a story about forgiveness. They go, yeah, good. I'd love to have a relationship with God based on forgiveness. That's like really, really good news. Thank you very much. But what's going to happen tomorrow when... I mean, you're going to have to work. And then if you're going to go through a difficult time, you're probably going to have to be responsible for something and make better choices. And I begin to practically think through how to live a life based on forgiveness, and I find it unnerving. I don't find it as good news. I find it to be a loss of control. And now I'm going to build my life on you loving me and I can't ever see you. And often when I pray, you don't really come through the way that I imagine you should. And you're saying to me, trust me. Build your relationship with me on forgiveness. I don't know about you, but that seems like a hard sell. You know, you, uh, you think about Ahaz. There are people coming over that hill, screaming war cries and running angrily toward me with swords. And I've got God saying, trust me, because uh, the sign will be a virgin giving birth and his name's going to be God with us. Trust that. Assyria is bigger and stronger. What are you going to do in that moment? Oh, I'm going with the virgin birth thing for sure. <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous. Like, 
Hey, you want to save me from hell? Thank you. Right now, though, I'm going with Assyria. Because I'm not stupid. And I could use some really practical help right now. And they can do that for me. Christianity is radical. And it's not a meritocracy. It's not. It's not built on our competency. It's not built on resourcing ourselves with counselors and uh, professors and mentors and other businesses who are going to help me climb the ladder. It's a different way of approaching life that is about loving God and being loved by God. And when push comes to shove, I find that hard to picture. Because I have to pay rent and eat. Would really love to do both of those things. And God seems to keep putting his people in positions where trust is required. Like, it's not like you become a Christian and then, and then just you open your bank statement and there's $20 million in the bank. This is great. Thanks for confirming your covenant. I'll just draw on that. And uh, wow, I trust in you. <laughs> I really, really do. The, the zeros confirm your faithfulness to me. No, you still look in your bank account, still zero, still minus whatever, depending on the time of the year, um, still zero. And he says, uh, I, got the, I got the best idea. You're going to trust in my son to forgive your sins. That's going to reinstate your relationship with me. And I'll take care of you forever. It won't always make sense. But if you trust me, I'll show myself faithful to you. And your reward won't be $20 million. That's nothing. Your reward will be a living relationship with me for eternity. What do you say? <clears throat> so my struggle today is how do you and I actually make forgiveness a way of life? What does it... Uh, why would we ever do that? And I want to refer back to the two points that we've already made and then we'll close. First of all, we need to raise our need of God. We need to raise our need of God and say, what if money for rent is easy for him? And what if what I really need is not more proofs. I really need to become a man or woman of faith and of trust. I am 
shocked uh, at the faithfulness of God in my life. He has never let me down. And I feel like I'm on the edge all the time. Because his agenda is to grow trust. My agenda is to grow self-sufficiency. And he's trying to teach me a lesson that my flesh is not interested in learning. And so I watch in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm almost finished. Uh, uh, Tuesday, I'll finish um, Deuteronomy. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching God deal with his people and saying, uh, so, so here's, yeah, Moses writes a song. He's, gonna, he's about to die. And God says, I want you to write a song for the people. So you think it's going to be a happy one, you know? And, uh, and the song is, I've always been faithful and you never have been. It's a country song. <laughs> and, uh, and, it's, uh, and, and, that's, and that's what, that's what he, and then he dies. And it's just, like he's, he, God's, God is so longing for a people who would be faithful to him and trust him. And I am, I'm overwhelmed by how rare that is. It's always been his agenda. And it's always been the struggle of his people to trust and to be faithful to him. Because our enemies and needs are screaming in our ear and they drown out the faithfulness of God. So we need to raise our need for God. And then finally, we need to increase our desire for love. You know, when, uh, when you have uh, younger kids, it's, um, it's, I find it a fascinating thing to watch their relationship with you. So they'll go through, uh, you know, you go through Toys R Us or something, and they see something shiny that catches their eye, and it's $20, you know. And, uh, and you're making a decision on whether to buy that or not. You can afford $20. Most of us can. Maybe not all the time, but you can afford $20. But what you're mostly thinking about is building a love relationship with them. And they think you're a resource to get the toy. Like, that's all that's going on is, do I get the toy or not? Like, there's just a blank face. Like, toy, no toy. Like, that's all I'm thinking about. And the parent is going, do I give the toy to show my extravagant love, or do I withhold the toy so that they have values deeper than the toy? And the parent is trying to figure out how to build a love relationship and the kid is thinking about the stupid toy. And I feel like that's the church. Like, are you going to pay my rent or not? Like, just, just let me know whether I'm going to go to Syria or you. I just need to know and then I'll be able to make an informed decision. And then the vulnerability of God says, 
but will you ever love me? I just don't know that. I can pay for your rent. It's not an issue. I was hoping that we would love one another. I don't know how to build love relationships. Try building a love relationship. Try to set that up. It's super hard to understand. And so I think even in marriages, we go back to a meritocracy. We say, look, you have some stuff that I want. I have some stuff that you want. In or out. What do you think? I mean, it's a beautiful, I mean, have a flower or something when you say it. But, uh, but it's, it's just transactional. It's just transactional. I don't want to be alone. Looks like you don't want to be alone. What do you say? And for as long as we have a mindset that's built on competency and abilities and resourcing, we never get around to pursuing love and relationship. And somehow, this new covenant that we sing about every Christmas is a radically different way of living. And God is trying every which way to explain how his kingdom is not a meritocracy. It's him generously loving us and us being able to respond with abandon, with abandonment and joy. And so maybe the beginning of this, could, could it be that we could say, Father, I would like to be forgiven For your benefit. Like, could I live my life for your glory? Would you please, please forgive my debt so that I could love you genuinely for you? Who's doing that? I don't know who's doing that. We reduce forgiveness to another resource that we need to manage our inner angst. But we've never left behind the meritocracy that we so thoroughly enjoy and find control and comfort in. And I'm wrestling this through as much as you are. But somehow, you guys... The church needs to be known for its love, not its competency. And somehow, God, by his spirit, is leading us into this. A love relationship with him. Do you think it's, he wants to forgive us in a second. It's just, he wants to give us the toy. It's just not about that. He's looking for a people who would reciprocate with genuine love. Oh, that we could be that people.
Wouldn't that be incredible? That we could be a people that love God for his benefit, knowing that it's simple for him to love us. So let me ask you then in closing, do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you, do you need forgiveness because you know you need his merits, his abilities to save you? You know, you know you can't control your life. And even more to the point, do you want to be forgiven and have your debt removed so that you can love God with abandon and with generosity with no mixed motives? Do you want to be forgiven? He will freely give it. You can never earn forgiveness. It's a contradiction in terms. But will you long for relationship in that love would be your motive? We can have the worship team come up. If you, uh, I'm sorry, I know I need to stop talking. But um, have you ever loved somebody that didn't love you? Have you had that? I mean, it's called being a teenager or something. But have you ever, have you ever had that experience where you've loved somebody and it wasn't reciprocated? Do you know that feeling? And there's something about the vulnerability of God that I think is overwhelming. He creates a world that owes him everything. And he's given, he gave his son. He gave everything. And the world is going, hmm, I don't know. I mean, I'm just not feeling it. Oh, God, please help us. Please save us from a loveless existence. You promised that you would give us a new heart, a heart of love that would long to obey your commands, your descriptions of love. And we cry out for that today. We ask that you would heal our souls, that you would liberate us from control and suspicion and self-sufficiency, and that we would be a people that, that would long to have a love relationship with you. And so we're asking today would you please forgive us? Would you please forgive us for making Christianity something other than love? And would you please teach us what it means to find the freedom of a canceled debt that love would win in our hearts? Thank you, Jesus.